Sorry for that technical glitch. The song that we just heard sung, it's a song by John Newton, I Asked the Lord. Now you may know John Newton's name from the well-known hymn Amazing Grace. Uh, John Newton had a long-time friendship with another hymn writer, a man named William Cooper. Cooper's last name is spelled C-O-W-P-E-R. It's not how we pronounce Cooper, but... Um, and uh, what you don't know about William Cooper is that he struggled mightily with depression. Uh, and um, he eventually would succumb uh, and he would lose his mind. Uh, and it was in that vein that Newton wrote that song. Uh, and so if you have an opportunity, I encourage you to go uh, look up I Ask the Lord. Um, because it's a, it's a wonderful song and it's a, a wonderful lead-in to... Uh, what we're going to look at today, uh, we're going to be in Psalm 88. So if you want to go ahead and get your Bibles and turn there, Psalm 88. Uh, if you're using the church Bible, if you don't have your own Bible, we invite you to use the, the one that's there in the row. Uh, it should be found on page 494. And I just want to give you a heads up. We've been spending our summer in the Psalms, uh, and this one is going to be a little bit different. Uh, this one is a heavy one to read. Uh, it is a lament, L-A-M-E-N-T, lament. What's a lament? Uh, a lament is grief or sadness turned into prayer. And laments are actually the most common type of psalm, believe it or not. Most of the psalms in the Bible are laments. But here's the thing. Most of the laments end on a note of hope. Psalm 88 does not. Uh, and so I just want to let you know that this is a, a heavy one to read, but I think is very useful for us and very good for us to read. Uh, it opens up some, maybe some avenues of the Christian life that you uh, have not heretofore experienced. Uh, remember I said at the beginning of the series, uh, gave you a quote from John Calvin, who was a pastor in Geneva, Switzerland, some 500 years ago. He said one of the reasons he loves the Psalms is because they're like an anatomy of the soul. Uh, they bring all of our feelings, uh, they, they give language to our feelings, uh, b- good biblical language. A more modern pastor, a man named Tim Keller, who was a pastor in our own denomination, says this. Uh, the Psalms don't deny feelings and they don't vent feelings. They teach us how to pray our feelings. So I want you to bear that in mind as we... Uh, Look at Psalm 88. Psalm 88 helps us pray when we feel like we're stuck in the darkness. Uh, Let's stand uh, out of reverence for God's word uh, as we listen to it read. Psalm 88. O Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry. For my soul is full of troubles, and my life draws near to Sheol. I'm counted among those who go down to the pit. I'm a man who has no strength, like one set loose among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave, like those whom you remember no more, for they are cut off from your hand. You've put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions dark and deep. Your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me with all your waves. You've caused my companions to shun me. You've made me a horror to them. I am shut in 
so that I cannot escape. My eye grows dim through sorrow. Every day I call upon you, O Lord, I spread out my hands to you. Do you work wonders for the dead? Do the departed rise up to praise you? Is your steadfast love declared in the grave or your faithfulness in Abaddon? Are your wonders known in the darkness or your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? But I, O Lord, cry to you. In the morning, my prayer comes before you. O Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? Afflicted and close to death from my youth up, I suffer your terrors. I am helpless. Your wrath has swept over me. Your dreadful assaults destroy me. They surround me like a flood all day long. They close in on me together. You have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. My companions have become darkness. This ends the reading of God's holy, inspired, and infallible word. And while the grass withers and the flowers fade, the word of our God stands forever. Amen. You may be seated. Let's pray together. Our good and gracious King, we may not be able to resonate with the experience of this psalm, or we may know it all too well. But Lord, we pray that you would write the truth of your word on our hearts. Help us to learn how to pray through this psalm. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. A couple of years ago, uh, in the midst of the COVID pandemic, uh, there was a phrase, a slogan that became popular among some Christians. You may have said this phrase. Uh, You saw it on T-shirts. You saw it on hats. Faith over fear. Now, depending on what you mean by that, uh, that phrase, that slogan could be helpful. But if by that slogan one means that faith never fears... That faith in the God of the Bible always looks strong and bold and undefeatable. If that's what your picture of trusting God looks like, well then Psalm 88 presents a problem for you. The psalmist is low. He's desperate. He's struggling. He's alone. And so when we read Psalm 88, we might think, that's not what faith sounds like. Faith sounds like conquering my doubts. Faith sounds like gaining victory over my fears. But this psalm teaches us that that's not always true. Ed Welch, as a counselor in his book, uh, Depression, A Stubborn Darkness, he says this, Faith can feel many different ways. Feelings don't define faith. Faith is simply turning to the Lord. So when you pray the Psalms, like Psalm 88, you're actually doing faith. It's one of the reasons that I find the Psalms so helpful, because they're often more honest than I am. Faith cries out even when God seems absent. And again, maybe that's not an experience that you've had yet. 
where God feels absent or God feels distant or God feels silent. But you very likely have, and if you haven't yet, you probably will. And even if you never do, this psalm can teach you how to pray with someone who is in those shoes. And so what do you do when you're stuck in stubborn, persistent, unrelenting darkness? Here's what Psalm 88 helps us to do. It helps us to be honest. It helps us to be persistent. And it helps us to remember who God is. Helps us to be honest and persistent and to remember who God is. How does this psalm help us to be honest? Well, look, this psalm is both, I don't know how you felt as I read that out loud, but this psalm is both refreshing and shocking in its honesty. Uh, Shocking because we don't think religious people should sound like this. And refreshing because it gives us permission to pray like this. Just listen to some of the things he says. Look at verse 3. My soul is full of troubles. My life draws near to Sheol. What is Sheol? Sheol can be a name for the grave, often used in uh, the Old Testament. Or it can be the place where wicked people go after they die. Either way, as you keep reading, you see that the psalmist feels like he is on the very verge of death. Sheol is a place where the dead remember God no more. Where the dead are cut off. And he does not want to go there. Verses 6 and 7, he feels punished and overwhelmed by God. Your wrath lies heavy upon me. You overwhelm me with all your waves. He feels pinned down. He feels trapped. Have you ever felt that way? Look at verses 16 and 17. He, he uses the image of floodwaters closing in on him. Twice he mentions that his friends, those who know me, shun him. He's alone. No one understands him. Did you notice that he never tells us what's going on? He never tells us why these things are happening to him, why he feels this way. Which means, this is, this is a blessing of the Psalms. It means that you and I can use this psalm in a variety of Stressful situations, distressing situations, chronic pain, depression, anxiety, loneliness, confusion. Right? Sometimes you feel a certain way, dried out, sunken in, but you don't have words. You don't know how to, you don't know how to express what it is that you're feeling. That's why we need... Psalm 88, that's why this psalm is here, that you, you can take this and you can make it your own. When you don't know what else to pray, when you feel at a loss for words before God, you can pray something like this. Psalm 88's honesty also helps us with bad theology. There's 
false teaching out there that says, you know, if you just had more faith, you wouldn't feel that way. God doesn't want you to be sad. You need more faith. And even if you wouldn't say that out loud, maybe you've thought it in your head. Maybe in your heart, you've thought mature believers don't struggle like this. Deep down, we say a a real Christian wouldn't struggle like this. And Psalm 88 says, that's baloney. This is the honest cry of faith. Faith is not standing on your own two feet. Faith is not standing on your own two feet. Faith is falling on your Savior when nothing else will hold you up. That's what's happening here. That's what enables us to be honest. In fact, if we, if we won't be honest, then we really don't allow God's word to plumb the depths of our hearts. So we need the honesty of a Psalm 88 to, to draw us out. To learn to be honest. Psalm 88 also teaches us to be persistent. Listen to how the psalmist describes his persistence. Persistence. Look at verse 1. I cry out day and night before you. So his prayers are constant. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry. Listen to me, is what he's crying out to the Lord. Listen to me. Verse 9. Every day I call upon you. Your translation might read all day long. I stretch out my hands. Can you get the the mental picture of that? How desperate he is in his pleading that he's stretching his hands out to the Lord all day. Pleading with God to hear him. Verse 13. In the morning my prayer comes to you. It's the first thing on his mind when he wakes up. He's persistent. What's he showing us? He's showing us that faith keeps reaching even when there's no response. Sometimes one chat with God does not make everything better. Sometimes four chats with God doesn't make everything better. Sometimes you pray for light in the darkness and it doesn't come. Sometimes you pray for relief And he doesn't give it. Psalm 88 is for those times. It also teaches us this, that just because you feel like God is absent, it doesn't mean that God is absent. Faith clings to God even when God is silent. Even when we cannot see what he is doing. That's where the psalmist is, and maybe you've been there. And we ask, why would God do that? Why would he leave one of his children in the darkness? And if I'm going to put my my doctrine hat on, 
I can say it's because he's God. He has a greater purpose. He's sovereign. He doesn't have to explain it to me or to you. And that's true. But in the midst of grief, that feels cold and far off. How wonderful that we have a God to whom we can draw near and voice our complaints. Uh, One of the illustrations that came up in our staff Bible study when we looked at this psalm was swimming lessons. When you're teaching children how to swim, as they get stronger, you slowly back away so that they'll swim further, right? So they're, they're groping, they're grasping, but you're not there, right? You're, you're stepping further and further away from them so that they'll grope and grasp more, so that they'll swim harder. One of the last verses of the song we sang before the sermon, when the Lord replies to John Newton, when John Newton says, why have you treated me this way? The Lord says, this is how I answer prayers for faith. I'm weaning you off every other faltering support so that you will trust me more. Maybe that's what the Lord's up to in your darkness. Maybe that's what he's doing We can also see from the subtitle that this man's pain is not wasted. However much he may have felt it in the moment, that this was a waste, that there was no good reason that he should be going through this, we can see when we look at who wrote it that it was actually worthwhile, that he was a worship leader in the temple, and that God used his experience, as painful as it was, to pen these words so that God's people could worship. And we, would, and we still have them. So this man's life, this man's experience, as difficult as it was, was not wasted. God used it and is still using it. And so we persist. If you find yourself in the darkness with no light, keep praying. Keep persisting. You'll notice that he doesn't give up. He doesn't call it quits. He keeps praying. And the reason he can keep praying, the reason he can be persistent, the reason that we can be persistent is because Psalm 88 also teaches us to remember who God is. I wonder if you noticed who's responsible for the psalmist's trouble. Lots of psalms uh, place the blame on the wicked or on an enemy or even on one's own sin. But not this one. In this psalm, God is the one to blame. God is the one who is responsible for the psalmist's trouble and difficulty. Over and over, he says, you've done this to me. Your waves overwhelm me. You've caused my friends to shun me. He acknowledges God's sovereignty, but it may be a part of God's sovereignty that you're not particularly comfortable with. God is the one who is ultimately responsible for this man, for what this man is going through and for what you and I go through as well. And again, this is where Psalm 88 confronts Bad 
teaching, bad theology. There's a kind of thinking that says, ah, you know, God, God does good to those who are good. He's, he's only responsible for the good stuff. Uh, but if I'm going through something painful, something hard, something difficult, that can't be him. Maybe it's my fault. Maybe it's someone else's fault, but it can't be him. Now, why is that bad theology? Here's the easy answer. Because it's not in the Bible. Psalm 88 is a great example. The entire book of Job is a great example. If you're not familiar with Job, God removes his livelihood, his family, even his bodily health. And as Job sits in the ashes lamenting, his wife comes out and says, curse God and die. And he says, shall we accept good from the Lord and not also bad? And it says, thus Job did not sin with his lips. And then Job's friends come along. And after sitting with him in silence for a while, they start on a good note. After they've sat in silence with him for a while, then they, then they start in with the accusations. Hey, are you, are you sure there's not some hidden sin in your life that you need to repent of? And Job, most of the book, it can be pretty tiresome to read because it's just this carousel of accusation and defense where Job's friends repeatedly say, no, I'm pretty sure you've done something wrong. And Job repeatedly says, there's nothing that I know of. It's not my fault. And even at the end of the book, when Job finally gets his hearing with God, he appears before God or God appears to him. The Lord doesn't tell Job why he did what he did. He simply points to his creation, his management of all creation, and he says, where were you when I founded the earth? Where were you when uh, I put the stars in the sky? Have you seen the places where I store the snow? Have you been down to the fountains of the deep in the ocean? More or less saying, who do you think you are? Little man. Sometimes we don't get an answer. But we can't say that God is not to blame. At least not in all cases. We can't, we can't let... There's this, there's this desire we have to get God off the hook. And at least Psalm 88 and Job teach us that we don't have to get God off the hook. Now, maybe that sounds like bad news to you. Like, why, why would I want a universe where God could be in control of my suffering? And my response is, why would you want a universe where he's not? If there is a part of your life over which God has no control, over a boundary to which he comes and he says, ah, mm, nope, I didn't do that, so sorry. Right? The reason this is good news, the reason this is so helpful, is because we have a God who is in control even in the moments of deepest distress and darkness. In fact, it may be the most hopeful part of this psalm that even in the deepest darkness we have someone to go to. Someone to talk to. 
Uh, just look at how the psalmist begins. Verse 1. O Lord, God of my salvation. Right? He may end on the word darkness. But throughout the psalm, there is this current of dogged hope. He is not going to let God go. He's saying, I've got nowhere else to go, so I'm coming to you. You are the God of my rescue. You are the God of my salvation. You see, it's because he knows who God is that he's even able to pray this way. If he didn't believe in the sovereign control and goodness of God, he would have already given up. He would have already stopped praying. But it's God, it's God's character. It's who God is that enables the psalmist to pray such difficult prayers. And it's what enables you and me to pray such prayers as well. I want to close by looking at this series of rhetorical questions that he asks in verses 10 through 12. Do you work wonders for the dead? Do the departed rise up to praise you? What's he doing? Well, he's taking what he knows to be true about God, God's desire for people to know him, God's desire for people to worship him. And he's saying, if you kill me, that won't happen. Don't you want me to praise you? Don't you want me to glorify you? He's, dare we say, arguing with God. I don't know if we would feel this to be disrespectful, irreverent. It's certainly on, on the border. And the assumed answer to each of his questions is no. Do you work wonders for the dead? No. Do the departed rise up to praise you? No. Is your steadfast love declared in the grave? No. Right? The, the, the implied answer for this writer is no. Therefore, don't send me to the grave. I'm crying out to you. Answer me because I want to praise you. But let's look at those questions again through the eyes of Jesus. Do you work wonders for the dead? Yes. Do the departed rise up to praise you? Yes. Through the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Is your steadfast love declared in the grave? Yes. My son's grave. Are your wonders known in the depths of hell? Yes. Because my son has endured it so that you do not have to. You see, Jesus endured the dark night of Psalm 88. So that you and I ultimately do not have to. Think about the life of Jesus. Particularly if you're prone to think that like, well, good things happen to good people, bad things happen to bad people. Just think about the life of Jesus and how that turns it on its head. There was no better man. And yet, in his final days, public opinion turned against him. All the people uh, who followed him walked away. 
Even his closest friends during his trial shunned him and ran away. One of them in earshot, Peter, who said he would never leave, disowned Jesus in earshot of Jesus. So that when he goes to the cross, no one is there. And then on the cross, the wrath of his father overwhelms him like a flood. Why? So that you and I will never have to experience that, ever. Jesus went through the dark night of the soul so that you and I can endure the dark nights of our own soul. So that when, when we're at the lowest possible low we can go, we remember that our sorrow has a bottom. That it is not infinite. That it has a stopping place. And that even if you do not see light in the current darkness, you will see it. One day, someday, if you are in Christ. That is the hope of everyone who believes in Jesus. Do you? Let me pray. Lord, we thank you for this psalm. We thank you that it gives us words. It puts into words feelings that we often can't express. It helps us to be honest with you in prayer. To bring before you, to not be afraid to bring before you our fears, our doubts, our sadness, our loneliness. We know because of the psalm that you hear us. Lord, would you give us the grace to be persistent in prayer even when the light of your presence is removed for a season. Even when we don't experience that peace or comfort that we so desperately want. And would you help us to remember who you are? That you are not asleep at the wheel. You are not absent you are not wicked or vindictive. You are good. Even if we can't see the goodness for a time. Even if we can't feel your presence or peace. Lord, would you help us when we can't see the path to trust you, our guide. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.